morning, everyone. So that was precious, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, does he want Steve too? Uh, good morning, family. How are you? Yeah. Um, let's start. Let's start. Will you, will you open your Bibles with me and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6? That's right. In fact, we're going to start in the last few verses of chapter 5, but uh, focusing on chapter, chapter 6. Mm. He's happy. He's a happy man. <laughs> um, so as you are you there? Should we pray our prayer? This is our prayer. Father in heaven. Father in heaven, we thank you that uh, that we are your children that you look upon us as sons and daughters, that your love for us is, is Lord, beyond our, comprehensible, uh, beyond our comprehension. Certainly it is unsearchable, but at the same time it is so undeniable, Father, that we are yours and we're in your hands and your presence is with us. And I pray, Father, you would continue continue to guide us and lead us by the truth of your son and the truth of your word and father as your children we pray lord we father we we just pray that you would make us prayers father that indeed we would earnestly that we would wholeheartedly desire your presence and your purpose and your blessings and in every aspect of our lives, Father, and, and these hearts, Lord, um, these minds that we have, Father, we pray, Lord, no, we, we beg of you, Lord God, to search us, Father, to search us and to change us, to expose those things that may well be hidden deep within the recesses of both mind and heart, things that we protect, Lord God, that we know, are not of you and not pleasing to you. And I pray, Father God, that you would do what needs to be done, Father, and keep us from the things that keep us from you. And Lord, may that gospel message, the power of the gospel message, continue, Father, to transform us and to bring us into the image of your Son, Father. Let it be the most important message in our lives and may it be the most important message that we have to share with this world, Father. Let it move our hearts. Let it shape us. Let it determine who we become, O oh, precious God. And I pray, Father, that indeed our satisfaction will be found in nothing than a life that pleases you. Father, we declare again that uh, we don't... Lord, we're done with careless living. We want a faith of substance, Lord, that takes us beyond the walls of our church and even beyond the walls of our home and... Lord, gives us something to say to this world that has eternal consequences attached to it. Father, so we're, we're ready and, and we're willing to exchange 
any self-indulgence that may be consuming us. Father, for a self-sacrificing life, a self-sacrificing, self-denying, life-transforming Christianity. In all, Father God, we're simply standing before you once again and saying, precious Father, precious Holy God, we're ready, we're ready to live for you. In Jesus' name, Father, we pray this and acknowledge this to be the desire of our hearts. Amen. Amen. Oh, a few weeks back, we began... We started to look at the beseech thee, I beseech thee statements of the Apostle Paul. Uh, I was talking with someone after the first service and, and, and just realised, you know, we could spend a lot of time, a lot of time in these passages with the Apostle Paul, indeed other believers are beseeching. And, and as we've noticed, this beseeching of the, of, of the Apostle Paul, of the Scripture, is, carries the idea of someone... When someone calls you near unto them, it's this strong pleading. It's this. It's this. It's it's a begging. In fact, it's a call. It's a call that says, "Hey, I've got something really, really important to say to you." And so, it's when someone leans into your direction and says, "You've got to hear this. You've got to know this. This is so important." And that's what the apostle Paul does here. That's what the scripture is saying. It's leaning into our direction, and it is saying, "Believer, this is of the utmost." importance I beseech thee and so let's read this it says in verse 20 are you back I said chapter 6 back in verse 20 of the previous chapter we want to start there because that chapter break of course is is ours that's that's not really there it says now then we are ambassadors for Christ as through God as though God were pleading that's our word beseech your Bible might say beseech if you're reading a King James. So now then we, as ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading, God were beseeching through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he who made him, that is he, that is God made him, that is Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now verse chapter 6, verse 1, we then, as workers together with him, also plead, there's our beseech, we beseech you, or plead with you, that you not receive the grace of God in vain. Now I know most of you are aware of this, but it's important for us to be reminded that the Christians that this letter was written to, the Christians at Corinth, they weren't the perfect example of what it is to be a Christian. In fact, they were at the other end of the scale. I mean, there were factions in the church they were dividing over, amongst themselves over different leaders. You know, There was immorality within the church. In fact, immorality that the Apostle Paul said shouldn't be named amongst you. He said it's a shame even to be named amongst the non-believers and yet it's there in your midst. There was a talking about this terrible immorality. There was lawsuits. They were suing one another. Christians suing one another. They were abusing the Lord's Supper. They were coming together and they were, they were ignoring one another. They were setting themselves 
apart. They were even getting drunk in the communion service and ignoring other people. There was absolute abuse of the Lord's Supper. There was marriage problems rife throughout that community of believers. There was a disorderly conduct in the operation of the spiritual gifts. When they were gathering together, they could care less about one another again. You know what? It just wasn't a shining light. Church of Corinth was not a shining light. And so the Apostle Paul is clearly addressing the fact that these believers have allowed a chasm to develop between their faith in Christ and their conduct as believers. Let me say it again. This is what Paul is addressing. That they as believers have allowed a chasm, allowed a chasm to develop between their faith in Christ and their conduct as Christian believers. You see, Paul had brought... The gospel message to this church. This gospel message of salvation through God's incredible gift, God's grace, God's love, God's mercy. He had brought the message of Christ's sacrifice for the sins of the people. And they submitted themselves to it. And they received it. They accepted it joyfully. They knew what it was to be saved. They understand the power of the gospel. They know that they were sinners and that they are sinners saved by grace. They know that it was nothing to do with them and everything to do with what God had accomplished for them on the cross of his son Jesus Christ. God sent his son to die for them. They accepted that in faith. They were forgiven. They were, they were redeemed. They were part of the family of God. They knew it. They received it with absolute joy. But since then, but since then, many of them had just continued on in the life that they'd always lived. They hadn't allowed the gospel of grace to change them. They refused to turn away from unrighteousness. They refused to purify themselves from the things that contaminate both body and spirit. He's going to say to them, in fact, he says at the end of the chapter, and he'll say to them in the beginning of the seventh chapter, if you just quickly look at the seventh chapter 7 and verse 1, he will say to them, because of the great promises that come to us by virtue of the fact that we are sons and daughters of God, he says in that first verse, Dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. See, their lives had remained unchanged. They played no part in serving Christ or serving Christ's people. And Paul says to them, I beseech thee, you must not, I beseech you that that." that you not receive the grace of God in vain. Now this, what I'm about to say next, is certainly not the emphasis of the passage. But I do believe, based upon what Paul said in the first letter of Corinthians, that there must have been believers there. Actually, there were people there who simply took for granted the fact that they were believers. But they weren't. They were simply sitting there in church... Every week, they're a part of a community. 
They attended, the, they attended every week. They sang the songs. They listened to the teaching. They even nodded their head in approval. And they did their very best to be good people. They even sat there thinking, oh, there are people I know that need to hear this, you know. But in a truth, but in a truth, they themselves had never truly come to Christ for his forgiveness. They had religious hearts. They understood right from wrong, but they'd never given their lives to Christ. As one pastor said, I love this statement, he said, there may have been behavioural modification, but there certainly was no heart transformation. Don't you love that? There may have been behavioural modification, but certainly there had been no heart transformation. They're not born again. Not born again. The Spirit of God was not residing within, transforming their lives from the inside out. Again, not born again. They had not fallen down before God. They had not fallen down before Christ, the Lord, the risen Saviour. They hadn't fallen down before Him and said, Oh, wretched man that I am, I'm a sinner, forgive me. I need you. I can't do this myself. Come in, change me. Be my Lord. See, they, they're not saved. They haven't gotten to that place. And again, Paul said, would say to them, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Don't come into this environment and hear the word of God and hear the gospel message week in and week out. Don't be a part of a family of believers and simply not allow the grace of God's message to change your life, to draw you in to that salvation knowledge and understanding. Don't, don't let it pass you by. In other words, Steve prays this so many times. He says, Lord, don't let us leave this place the same don't receive the grace of God in vain and to us today as we read this passage I believe the spirit of God leans in and says to us this is of the utmost importance Christian don't receive the grace of God in vain so read those verses with me chapter, chapter 6 and verse 1 we then as workers together with him also plead, as I beseech you, that you do not receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know what this is about? This is about the all about the incredible gift of God's grace that has saved us from sin's eternal consequences, and that is hell. That is an eternal that has eternally been separated from the presence and the love of God to never know again the presence of God, to never know again any of the manifestation of God's love and His presence in your eternal existence, to never that that's beyond our comprehension. The horror of it. And this is all about the fact that we have been saved from that. One of my f most favourite passages is Ephesians chapter 2. Would you turn there with me? 
Because this passage, the first eight verses, talks about this most wonderful grace. This glorious truth that God has saved me and it needs to be said more often that God has saved me from hell and he has promised me eternal life in his presence because of what Jesus has done. Are you there? I know you know this passage well. He says, and you he made alive. Look, any scripture, any passage that starts with, and you he made alive, is a good passage, right? And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, amongst whom you also once Excuse me, let me say that again. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by very nature children of wrath, just as everybody else out there. We were once separated from God, children of wrath, destined for hell. And then the most precious but in the Bible... But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How glorious is that? That in the ages to come, hear this, that in the ages to come, throughout all eternity, he's saying, he will show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's our destiny. And now the most precious verse in the Bible, for by grace we have been saved through faith, not of ourselves. It is what? It's a gift from God. See, that should stir our hearts. We were on our way to hell. We were children of wrath. And by God's grace, we have been saved from it. Let me ask you this morning. Let me say first, Christian, Christian I'm talking to. That's your reality. That's your reality. Yeah, right now we're sitting in this room. Right now we're on those, don't know what colour that is, those chairs, sitting on them, comfortable or not, but in reality, as far as God is concerned, you, Christian, are seated in heavenly places. You are in the very presence of the eternal God. Why did we say that? Because as God sees it, it is so. It is true. That's your destiny. That's your reality, Christian. It's who you are. Now let me ask you something. Knowing that, can you remain the same? Can you be as you were? Look, I've met some people who answered that question. They're not people that have been delivered from from deeply abusive occultic groups. You know, they're not these dramatic, you know, salvation stories that you hear. These are, these are people like you and I. Elaine, she's 40. 
she said, my life before I came to know Jesus, she says, I was one angry person. It was like a, it was like a force nine gale. A bit like the storms that you read about in the Bible. It imp- but the, but it, the Bible impacted my heart that Jesus did exist. Jesus was real. Jesus is alive. And Jesus can make a difference in my life. And I just said very simply, Jesus, if you're real, just come and do something for me. My life has changed incredibly. And in the most wonderful ways. I don't lose my temper like I used to. And life isn't easy. Life hasn't been perfect. I face many storms, but whatever storms I face, I know that Jesus is in the boat with me. He's in control of my life. Tim is 22. He's engaged to be married. He's a youth worker and he's a piano teacher. He said, about the age of 13 or 14... I ended up doing the things that most teenagers generally do, going into the park and drinking and experimenting with drugs and stuff, and that became my focus. And as I started, and I started thinking about God a lot more, and you know what life was about, I started going a lot more to church meetings and youth meetings and stuff. He does a lot of stuff. I had a lot of really good friends around me, and they chatted to me about really important stuff. And they supported me. Now I know where I was going. Now I know where I was going. I know that I'm now. Now I know that I'm going to heaven. I don't know what's going to happen on the way. I don't really know what job I'm going to do or anything. But I know what I am now, and I know that I am secure. And I know that's because I know God. Lois is 40, and she's married with three children, age 8 to 14, and she works as a massage therapist. She said, to anyone looking in on the outside, you know, I'm quite a confident person. But actually, the truth of it was that underneath, it was a, I was crummy. And had a feeling of sorts, a sort of real hopelessness. Like, well, is this it? That's when I found myself really weeping. Desperately, more than anything, I needed forgiveness. I used to have great worries about my children. And I just put them in God's hands now. And I know they are safe. Uh, Mark is 41. He's married with two children, age two and four, and he's self-employed. He said, I didn't think God or Jesus would want anything to do with me. Now I look back, I can see that Jesus knows all the faults that were in my life, but he still loves me. He knew that I was self-centered, hard-working, hard-drinking, striving for everything in life. God brought an incredible love into my life with which I don't think I could have been able to give to my children if it hadn't been for Christ loving me. What was my question? Can you remain the same? Well, Elaine, Tim, Lois, Mark, ordinary people, just like every one of us, 
They didn't remain the same, did they? But you know what? And this troubles me. Oh man, this really troubles me. Because what the scripture indicates here is that we can remain the same. That we can receive this wonderful grace of God, this incredible promise of God, and not let it change our lives. We can remain the same. Oh, that troubles me. It really does. You know why it troubles me? Because I look at the life of Jesus Christ. I look at him when he walked upon this planet and I see so many people that came or encountered Christ and they were changed forever. They were changed forever. The blind man came and he went away seeing. The deaf man came and he went away hearing. The lame man went away walking. The poor had the gospel preached to them. And those without a shepherd had the good shepherd come and bring light and direction to their life. And those without a teacher were taught the truth of God. The sick got well and the dead were raised to life. Well, guess what? We've been raised to life. We've been raised to life. How can we not be changed? How can we remain the same? Let me tell you something. You can remain the same. Christian, you can remain the same, but in order for you to remain the same, you have to fight God. You have to resist God in order to remain the same as you used to be before you discovered the grace of God. You have to deny His Word. You have to every single day. You have to get up and say, Oh, I'll get into the Scriptures one day. I know they're important. I know I need God's Word in my life. But I'm busy right now. One day. One day. You've got to do that every day if you're not going to remain the same. You know what you've got to do if you're going to remain the same? You've got to ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon your heart. He's speaking to you every single day. And you've got to say to him, look, I know. I know you don't want those things in my life. I know they're not productive. I know they're counterproductive in my life. I know they shouldn't be a part of any Christian's life. I know, but right now, you know, God, right now I'm enjoying them just too much. Hey, but one day... Tomorrow, one day, next week, one day, next year, it's going to happen. I'm, I'm, look, later, Lord. You've got to say that every single day if you're going to remain the same unchanged. You have to surrender to the values of this world as opposed to the values of God. You, you have to invite worldly idols into your life. If you're going to remain the same. Idols into your heart that are not God. You have to, if you're going to remain the same, unchanged by the grace of God in your life, you have to choose unrighteousness. You have to choose to be godless. You know what you have to do? You have to reject the great privilege of responsibility that accompanies God's great gift of grace if you are going to remain the same then you have to say God not now later every single day who wants to be that who wants to do that 
That's not where it's at, is it, child of God? Paul tells us where we need to be. Look what he says. I know we've read it twice, three times already. But he says, this is where it's at. This is where we need to be. He says, we need to be workers together with him. That's with Christ, with our God. Look at verse 1. Let's read it again. We then, as workers together with him, also plead, I beseech thee, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Paul sees himself, he sees all of us in fact, as co-workers with Jesus Christ. I read that, I think, man, that's pretty cool, don't you? A co-worker with Jesus Christ. Look, look, flick back, look back in that fifth chapter again. Chapter, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Verse 18, now all things are of God. They used to be all about me and mine. But now all things are about God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And notice this, he's given us something to do. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. And then verse 19, it says, God has committed unto us the very words of reconciliation. What are the words of reconciliation? They're the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's given that unto us. Okay, but don't stop there. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the very words of reconciliation. And then verse 20, Now then... We are what? We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. Paul says, I'm a partner with Jesus Christ. That's where it's at. That's what it is to be alive. That's what that prayer is that we pray every single week. Every single week. A co-worker with Jesus. That I like. Look, I remember, I remember as a little kid being asked by my dad to help him with little jobs. Now, it would just be holding something or getting something for him. You know, I've got this specific memory one Sunday afternoon of sitting on the veranda with my dad. Dad was sitting on the veranda because West Perth were being flogged in the football. And he couldn't sit in there. And I don't remember what the job was, but I remember sitting on the veranda and I was helping him. You know, there was no great responsibility, but I can still feel that tingle. I can still feel that tingle of worth and usefulness. You know, it went straight up my spine. Am I the only one? Do you know it? I'm working with my dad. It's an amazing feeling. I'm working with my dad. Look, he didn't need my help. And I was probably more of a hindrance to what he was doing. But now I'm a father. And now as a father, I know the reason that he was asking me to help him. It wasn't to get the job done. He could have done that like that. He was asking me to help him for me. Because he wanted to move me in a direction. Every good father does that. Son, come here. Let's do this together. 
and it moves us forward, you know. God doesn't want us sitting around doing nothing. The grace of God that saves us isn't just to get us over the line into the kingdom of God. God wants us to be workers together with him. Not pew potatoes, not couch potatoes, no. But working together with him as an ambassador. That's a great word. It's a great title, in fact. You know that? As an ambassador, God makes his appeal through us as his ambassadors. Our actions, yes, our character, our words, they embody, they embody, let me say it clearly, they embody the king who we represent And the amazing thing, the truly amazing thing about this is that every single one of you, me included, every single one of us have been handpicked by God as ambassadors. That's what an ambassador is. Somebody specially chosen chosen for the purpose of representing their leader, their king. And God has handpicked every single one of you who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ to be Lord over your lives. He has chosen you to be his ambassador. And like every ambassador, you represent him in a foreign land. You speak your, about your country. You speak about your leader. You honour the reputation of your country. You honour the reputation of your leader. That's what an ambassador does. What's our country? What's our citizenship? It's heaven. Our destiny. And who's our leader? It's Jesus. It's the greatest honour. That's where those tingles come from. When he's working through you to others. I'm working with my dad. I'm working for my dad. My dad is working through me. However you want to see it. I'm not just sitting around. So the Apostle Paul says, we then, I'm going to read it again. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you, beseech you, that you receive not the the grace, the gift, excuse me, you receive not the grace of God in vain. What does it mean to receive the grace of God in vain? Well, I guess I've said it already in many different ways, but it means to receive the goodness of God, the favour of God, and to not let it change my life. That's what it means. It means to hinder the work of God's grace in my life. It It means I'm missing out. It means you're missing out on the most important reason why you are here. He didn't just save us to have us then to sit and wait for his return. Yes, we wait for his return. But until then, we're about our Father's business, are we not? Our Heavenly Father's business. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he'd already said to these believers... He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me, he says, was not in vain. In fact, he went on to say, hey, look, I have worked harder than everybody. He was talking about the other disciples. No pride there at all. Because he wasn't boasting in what he'd done. He was boasting in the grace of God. By God's grace, I am what I am. 
And when you understand the enormity of the grace of God at work within your life, no, you can't remain the same unless you fight God, unless you choose not to honour him, unless you choose unrighteousness, you can't remain the same. So Paul is saying, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's not given because of who I am or who I ever will be. No, no, no. Or what I have done or even whatever I will do. God's grace is simply the free gift given and it is to change me. It is to change you. To encourage you towards your Father in heaven who wants to move through you. That's what picture that Paul is painting. His grace moving through you to touch other people's life. And he wants that grace effective within your life when? Yes. Exactly. Not tomorrow. Not when I think I'm going to get right. Not when I think, okay, I've had enough of this world. Not when I think, well, you know, there's nothing else to do. I'm too old now. I might as well get back to church and get ready. You know, a lot of people think that church is about, you know, simply about old people and people about ready to die, right? No, 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 no. Church is about living for the purpose of God in this world, for his purposes. And he says it's not tomorrow. It wasn't yesterday. Don't live regretting because you weren't serving God yesterday. Don't be worried about what tomorrow's going to bring. It's right now. It's right now that God's grace is going to be effective within my life. What does he say in verse 2? Read it with me. He says, for he... We finally got to verse 2. For he says, it is an acceptable time. In an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in this day, or the day, it, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Paul is quoting from Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 8. And what he is quoting from in Isaiah 49 verse 8 was God exalting the children of Israel to know that their day of deliverance from the Babylonian captivity and set them free to head back into the promised land to go home, God is saying to them, it's a time, it's an I determined, and it's right now. And so Paul is using this Old Testament scripture to convey this sense of urgency. God has an acceptable time for us to allow his grace to encourage us. He reminds us that this acceptable time is, again, will you say it with me? It is... It is now. Now is the only time we have. Do you understand that? It's the only time we have. We have no assurance of anything else. We can't save up yesterday to work for us into today. And certainly tomorrow holds none, no promise to any of us. Someone said this. They said, God's grace is always coming to my heart. I think it was Redpath. He said, God's grace is always coming to my heart and life in very wonderful and blessed experiences of now. Do you hear that? He said, God's grace is always coming to my heart and life in very wonderful and blessed experiences of now. Paul uses 
the Greek word keros. It's C-A, this is not important, I-R-O-S, and it speaks, it speaks of a very special moment in time. We would describe them as those forks in the road that make lifelong and eternal differences. It's moments that carry the potential to determine our destiny. And it's now. God is listening now. God is here now. God's grace is here now. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the hour of salvation. The day, the moment, the instant, the crossroad experience of salvation where everything in life is going to change. Now is the moment that determines the rest of my life. And the grace of God is speaking to us. It's speaking to us. Now look, I can't preach this message without talking to each of you as individuals. You know why? Because in this room, I know it's true. In this room, there are people who are struggling with things in their life that shouldn't be there. Shouldn't be there. I know I'm one of them. You know? And the grace of God is speaking now. You know? See... I don't want to be one of those people that sits before the grace of God and walks away from it unchanged, day in and day out. So right now I'm asking you, if, if God is speaking to your heart, if God is convicting you about things that are in your life, because this is who the Corinthians were, things in your life that are detrimental to your walk with him, that are detrimental to him being able to work not in you, but also through you to change other people's lives, if in fact the effect that I'm having on other people's lives is detrimental to them, because I've got ungodly things in my life, and if God is speaking to you about those things... Don't leave this place unchanged. Don't say to God tomorrow. Don't say to God next week or when I've finished having enough fun with this thing. No. Don't despise the grace of God. And if you're in this building and you've been a part, you've been a part of a Christian community, but you have never You've never really said, yes, Lord Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. I've been doing it my own way. I've been living a life that is contrary to who you are. And I know I am more like them out there than I am like who you want me to be in here. Because I haven't given myself to Christ and I haven't asked for his forgiveness. Hey, the grace of God speaks now. Right now. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And as we sing this last song of praise for his goodness and faithfulness to us, look, take the opportunity. It's not about where you sit or where you stand, but if you want to come on down to the front and you want someone to pray with you, or you just want to get up out of your seats and make a confession before God, I'm going to do this and come on down to the front and just spend some time before him and say, yes, Lord Jesus, 
I know, I know that the things that I am doing are not moving me towards you, but they're moving me towards a world out there. I don't want it anymore. I want today to be the day of salvation. And if you haven't given your life to Christ, we'd love to pray with you. Don't leave, don't leave today unchanged if the grace of God is speaking to your heart right now. That's what Paul pleads with us. He leans in and he says, this is of the utmost importance. The Spirit of God says we need to listen. You need to hear this. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. Amen. Jim will be up here. I'll be up here. If you need someone to pray with you, come and join us. Come and worship alongside of us. Amen.